Welcome to The First 10 Years, a career podcast focused on learning from our past to propel us into the future. I'm your host, Danielle Doolin. I'm a communications professional, career and finance writer, and a career changer. But most importantly, I'm fascinated by work and how it fits into the bigger picture of life. I love to ask questions and want to know everything there is to know about how to have a successful and fulfilling career. On the first 10 years podcast, I'll reflect on my career journey thus far and invite other professionals and experts into the conversation so we can learn together how to turn the first 10 years of our career into a foundation for our ideal future. Hello, and welcome back to the first 10 years podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Doolin, and we're officially one week in to 2024. I don't know about you, but the first week back to work was a bit of a struggle. It it felt so great to take some time off and relax, but I just feel like we're right back where we were. We were hitting the ground running and it's all good stuff. And it's just, there is no slow start to, to the new year. We are just back at it. Um, so I'm excited for what the year will bring. I know I say it was a struggle, but I think we it's always an adjustment when you take some time off and now it's time to to get back into it. So back into work mode and I'm just excited to be back this week with another guest conversation. So today I'm joined by Allison Conklin. Let me tell you a little bit more about Allison. Allison Conklin is the founder of Allison Conklin Public Relations, ACPR, a boutique PR agency for beauty, home, and lifestyle brands. A 2005 graduate of Colorado State University, she started her career in New York City working in publishing for W Magazine before transitioning to PR. Allison held PR roles at Shishido, Clayta Pobute, Zur, and Talisker prior to opening her do- the doors to her eponymous company in 2010. For the last 13 years, Allison and her team have worked with founders across the U.S. to help them grow their brands by expanding their awareness through earned media. She resides in Atlanta, Georgia with her husband, Michael, and their three dogs. This was such a great conversation. I had the pleasure to work with Allison and her team at ACPR um, and one of their clients for a piece that I've, I worked on in my freelance writing work, and it was just so enjoyable. She is such a pleasure, and I just really enjoyed this conversation. Even listening to it back to edit it, I was like, wow, there's so many great nuggets of wisdom in here. So I'm looking forward to all listening. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Allison. so much for joining me on the first 10 years podcast today. Hi, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to learn more about you and your career journey and, and what you've done so far. Um, I'd like to kick every conversation off by having our guests walk me through the first 10 years of their career, starting with what they wanted to be when they grew up. <laughs> okay. So when we talked about this before, I shared with you something that was like slightly controversial now. Um, when I was in elementary school, I wanted to be a whale trainer at SeaWorld. And I know like this was a very, very long time ago. So um, my maiden name is Whaley. And so I felt like a kinship. So cute. Like my career path. Um, it was not my career path. And in high school, I, I thought I wanted to pursue psychology. I had an amazing high school teacher um, who taught my psychology 100 class and thought that that was the path for me. And then once I got to college and started taking some psychology courses, particularly math and science, um, realized that that was not going to be a fit 
for my talents. Um, and I think at that point I decided that I wanted to work in editorial or work with magazines in some way. Well, you're in PR now, so I feel like psychology does play an aspect into that. Like knowing the psychology of people and how they function has to benefit you in some way. <laughs> Very much so. And I um, tell my husband this constantly, that I feel like one of my my secret gifts is that I can get people to tell me pretty much anything um, and open up to me and share things with me that um, that they might not normally share with a perfect stranger. But I've had really incredible deep conversations with people after not knowing them for much time. Um, and I think maybe it's a gift, but I'll take it and run with it. That's an amazing superpower. Where do you think that comes from? Just your personality? Like... Um, I, I, I love like you, I love to ask questions. I love to know about people. This is actually a huge departure for me because I'm typically on the other side. And so this is not totally comfortable for me. Like it's a conversation, which is okay. Um, but I'm not someone who's typically interviewed. Um, and I think that it's because I do, I really want to know I'm fascinated by people. Um, and fascinated by their lives and the journeys and the decisions that they've made throughout their life, um, their lives. And um, I don't know, maybe that's just it. Just lots of questions. I'm really, really interested. I'm actually interested in, in hearing about their lives. I love that. And I definitely can relate. And thank you for the opportunity for allowing me to flip the script with you today <laughs> and putting you in the hot seat. Listen, I got to expand. I got to expand my comfort zone, right? We <laughs> That's how have... you grow. That's we how grow. you grow. Yeah. So what did you actually graduate college from? What kind of degree? And then where did your career journey start once you graduated? So I graduated from Colorado State University um, with a Bachelor of Science in Apparel and Merchandising. So I was on the marketing side of a fashion degree. Um, and part of my program required us to get an uh, internship before graduation. And so I went to New York and I worked for Footwear News um, as an intern um, for three months, um, unpaid, mind you, moving from Colorado to New York, um, and got experience working in the fashion closet, working with the editorial um, fashion director, um, getting experience with footwear brands. I mean, think about a 22-year-old who had only heard of the names like Christian Louboutin from Sex and the City. And then being surrounded in a fashion closet by actual shoes that cost more than our sublet in New York. Um, and it was a great way to like be humbled <laughs> very quickly early on in my career. It sounds like a dream, like an internship in New York City in a fashion closet. Like that's something out of a movie. Well, I did not have any money, so I did not dress the part. If I could dress the part, I could, if I could dress myself now, maybe it would be different. But I think it's all experience, right? And being exposed to all of that at such a young age, I think really shaped who I am today in terms of what I look for with brands in my own business and, and how I operate as a person. So what happened next? Um, after working um, at Footwear News, I went to W Magazine and I worked um, on the publishing side, supporting two very busy sales directors who worked on jewelry accounts like Cartier, um, non-endemic 
um, like liquor brands. Um, and I got a lot of experience really learning the ins and outs of the magazine industry from, from an assistant level, um, and how advertising worked and how brands utilized advertising to grow their awareness, um, and as part of their marketing strategies. Um, we, this was between 2005 and 2006. And so it was the heyday really of advertising. And so budgets were huge. Success was huge. Um, the team that I got to work with had incredible success that year. And, um, I was really fortunate to be a part of it. This is all pre-recession. So being able to see these brands take out these, you know, four page spreads at the top of the magazine, um, beautiful spreads, I think, gave me a really good look at what this industry was on the publishing side, especially because I dreamed about it and working um, with magazines since I was in college. So what got you interested in editorial? Um, so like, like most girls, I read all of the magazines growing up, Cosmo, Sassy. I mean, I, you know, things that I don't even think my mom approved for me to, to read, but I got <laughs> subscriptions and I would. Um, and when I was at W, um, I loved being able to work in a magazine, but I was a little bit disenfranchised with the pay to play, um, with the um, exchange uh, of awareness, generating awareness through exchange of, of um of paid campaigns. And so what I really was interested in was the PR side because it's completely earned. Um, PR was interesting to me because you still, I still got to work with all the magazines and editors that I really admired. Um, but there was an earned component. It was a relationship based, um, interaction and exchange. Um, and that was really interesting to me because as someone before, like I, I said, someone who really loves to ask other people questions and learn about other people, relationships are key. And I think, you know, if I can pat myself, my 22 year old, 23 year old self on the back for, for recognizing that relationships are really central. Um, that's something that I think I would make that exact same decision today. So that's kind of the first spark of what led you to where you are today. Walk me through from where you were in editorial at W to what it looked like to make that decision to start your own business. Yeah, so I um, I worked in PR for in house for beauty brands in New York, um, Shiseido, Clay de Poe, and Zur. Um, I had the most amazing mentor, and I made the most amazing friends at work, um, and loved working in the beauty industry for PR. Um, I got kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to move back out West um, opportunity from a colleague from W who had moved out West to Park city, Utah to um, run the marketing department of this luxury lifestyle developer there. And she called me one day and said, would you come and, and run PR? Um, and so I did. And so I, I was there for another three-ish years. Um, and about 2010, end of 2010, I had decided it's time. It's time for my next endeavor. Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I'm a big believer in the make the decision, take the risk and the net will appear. So take the leap and the net will appear. Um, and 
I had announced that I was leaving and we were going to move back to Colorado where my husband and my family were. Um, and I had an interior designer that I had worked with there that I admired so greatly, um, asked me if I'd ever considered starting my own PR agency. Um, and I said to her immediately, no, that no, and I don't think so, but thank you so much for, I'm flattered for thinking that I would be capable of doing something like that. Um, we'll fast forward a couple of months and, um, my plan for what I had was going to do after landing back in Colorado kind of did not pan out the way that, that I had thought it would. Um, and I was left with this decision of, okay, well now or never, I was 28 years old. I was ready for my next challenge. Um, and I thought, okay, let's try it. Let's just see what this looks like. Um, and I started ACPR, Allison Conklin Public Relations. Um, we started with three clients and over the last 13 years, we have grown um, to be a team of four and we represent between 15 to 20 clients um, in the beauty, home and lifestyle categories. Um, they're all national brands, um, mostly female founders um, and brands and, and categories that I'm totally passionate about. That's so amazing. That's such a courageous mindset to have to, to take the leap and hope the net comes. Like that's terrifying, I have to imagine. But I think that's, that's how a lot of great things end up happening. Have you always had that mindset or like what, what kind of transpired to make you think that way? So I think that I have it. Actually, I'm going to rewind that because up until recently, I thought that I was not a risk taker. Like personally, I'm like, I don't take risk. I take calculated risk. And in conversation, um, maybe a year or so ago, my husband said to a group of people, like, she's the, she's the risk taker out of the two of us. She takes risk and that's, and it pays off. And I was like, I am. And so it was almost like having someone validate that, you know, to me, even though I didn't think that I was, and I didn't think that I was courageous in that regard. Um, looking back and tracking back at myself, even in childhood and into high school and college, um, I, I think I have always just planned for the best. And so known that I was going to be supported, whatever that means, whether it's, you know, by other people, by myself, by the universe, whatever it may be. Um, I think planning for the best and, and just knowing that the net will appear, but it might look different. It might not be a net. It might be a cup <laughs> or bowl or something else. Um, I think just staying open to that. But I do remember my um, senior year of college when I was applying for internships. Um, I remember I had two opportunities. One was in New York at Footwear News and the other was doing PR for Bloomingdale's in Chicago. And I remember having a conversation with um, the owner of a restaurant that I was a hostess at my senior year of college. And he said to me, I mean, it's all risk. You just have to decide what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do and then just act accordingly. Um, and he, he said to me, the net will appear. It always appears. Um, and I think that that's the way that I live my life is through trust or attempt to not blanket. I mean, because we all have you know, moments, but, um, believing, believing in myself, believing in, in my journey and, and trusting that it all is going to work out in the end. That's what I was going to say. I feel like there has to be a level of blind trust in yourself to know that no matter what comes my way, I can figure this out. Like you have to have a really strong sense of self and 
belief that you can accomplish anything. And I think it's a really important distinction when you say calculated risk, because I don't consider myself a risky person, but I definitely have made some what people deter or call risky moves in my career. But I think there's a difference between being risky and taking calculated risks. And mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. can be strategic and take those calculated risks, that's when you can have those those big payoffs like you found with your, yeah. your company. Yeah, I agree. I think you would never find me like at, at, at 40 years old now, I'm not going to take up snowboarding because that is not calculated risk. <laughs> However, yeah. there are, you know, if, if there is um, a good likelihood that there is going to be success, that I'm going to feel, feel fulfilled, it's going to challenge me and expand my comfort zone, then it's worth a shot. It's worth yeah, a shot. I love that. So how do you, how would you have defined success when you first graduated from college with not a PR degree, something very different, starting your career very different to where you are today as the founder of a company? So in the beginning, I think very similarly to how most of us were raised, you rate your success on how much money you're making, the company that you're working at and your title. Um, and that gets old really fast. Um, I think, you know, that was, those were the things that I strived for in my early days of my career. Um, I was, a, I think, you know, being an employer now and seeing, seeing candidates who job hop, I totally understand because you think that that's, you, you got to find your perfect fit. Um, but I think what has changed for me over years um, is the way that I look at success now. And it's really fulfillment. It's fulfillment in working in an industry and working with brands and doing what I love every day, um, being passionate about what I do, the relationships that I have, whether it's inside of ACPR's walls with my team or with our clients or editors and partners. Um, and then I think the way that we serve and the way that I'm able to serve other people, um, you know, whether that's mentorship um, or by just being that ultimate hype girl for our clients, um, service, fulfillment, and I think just passion. Are, are the ways that, that I really, um, the way this, that I really reflect on if I'm finding success in what I'm doing nowadays. That's been a theme that I've heard from all of these conversations I've had and that I continue to have is that mm-hmm. many of us, that's how we define success when we start is that it's based on your title or your salary. And I don't know if it's just lack of knowing or experience yeah. being in the working world, but we hit that point And that's, I feel like where I've I've hit that point in my career of, and it's maybe it's just the realization. I'm like, well, at one point we're going to hit the top. Like you're the founder mm-hmm. of a company. How do you define success and how do you find that fulfillment? Like if you're a CEO, there is no next step. Like you are the top of the top. So at some point you're going to be capped by a title or by a salary. So you need to determine for you what that looks like to feel and be successful. And it, it, like mm-hmm. you said, it comes from that fulfillment from finding other ways to to find joy and to check those boxes that aren't those, um, I guess, materialistic or artificial things. It has to be something a lot more meaningful and deep. Yeah. Aligned. <laughs> yes. Aligned. That's a great way to put it. So what would you say now you've been in business for 13 years? What's the biggest misconception that you hear about entrepreneurship? Mm. Yeah. Okay. So this is one of the topics that my husband and I were talking about over dinner last night, because I was like, I want to say so much. And I don't want to say so much because I feel like everybody needs to just figure it out on their own. 
And everyone's journey is so unique, especially for entrepreneurship and especially if you're a small business owner. But I do think that it is um, business ownership is a lot harder than it's painted to be than it that is pictured in movies, in books, through what we see on Instagram and social media, through LinkedIn updates. Um, it's tough. Business ownership is not, it's not for the faint of heart. And I remember saying that a couple of years into ACPR. Um, and I still believe it to this day. Um, you have to be a type of person who can roll with it and roll with the tough times. Someone who is adaptable and resilient and ambitious and tenacious um, and be willing to literally mop the floors um, and keep the lights on. Um, and I think that that, it takes a lot of hard work. Um, and I think it's glamorized a lot of the time, not to say that it's not worth it, but I think there's a lot of work that has to go into it before it can become, um, you know, the, what we see with the freedom and flexibility of business ownership. There's a lot of work and foundation that has to be laid in order to achieve that. Um, and so I think a biggest, a big misconception is that it's easy. Um, that anyone can be an entrepreneur. And um, I think I would disagree with that. Is there one thing in particular that you'd say is the hardest part? Mm. So we're completely bootstrapped, self-funded um, and scaling. Scaling is challenging. We've been, you know, really have had the privilege of, of being um, in business for so long and seeing competitors who have closed their doors. Um, competitors who have flourished and gotten funded and, and grown tremendously. Um, and I have had an incredible team and support system over the years, but it's really hard to scale a company um, and do it in a meaningful way. Um, I know that there's a big difference between growth and scale and we always want to grow. So growth is important for us, but I think in terms of growing and scaling, um, I think it can be hard to do when you're bootstrapped and when you want to do it in a meaningful way. We want to work with brands who are aligned, founders who are aligned with us and share similar values and, and beyond similar missions for what we want to achieve and what we want to put out into the world. Um, and so being picky and choosy about who you work with um, over the long term is um, incredible because you get to be in control of that as the business owner, but it also can limit the um, accelerated growth that a lot of other companies um, can experience. So I would say that's probably been the most challenging. Secondary is staffing. Um, you know, we I, I employ human beings and none of us are perfect. And like I said before and alluded to, um, meeting incredible candidates over the years who are trying to find their perfect fit. The reality is that we're not going to be the perfect fit for everyone. And um, that comes with its own challenges in terms of how I staff my company and who I employ. Um, but just goes, goes more proof for what I was saying before about hard. It's just challenging. They're all challenges that we have to solve and figure out how to work around I've always heard it takes a level of naivete to, to start a business because if you knew what you knew then, what you know now then, that you may not take that leap. Do you think that's yeah. the case? Do you think that if you knew how hard it was going to be that you'd still do it all over again? I would. 
I'm just that person. I totally <laughs> would. I would not have done, I would not have done anything different. I have, Danielle, I have made some like fall on my face mistakes and I have had incredible lessons and incredible failures and incredible wins. Um, and I have had the opportunity to be incredibly fulfilled over the past 13 years from what I do and by owning a business. Um, and I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't have done anything differently because I think, you know, it led me to who I am today. It led me, led us to who ACPR is today. And it's going to be different. I'm going to be different every year. We, we evolve and change. And I think it's all just part of the journey, which, um, I think when we, we learn to release the grip on control of and trying to be perfect and let it flow, that's when it really becomes all about the journey. It's not about the end result. It's about every single day that happens between now and the end. So how did you go about building your company? Was it something that was, I know you said you had a client, someone had kind of maybe put that bug in your ear that maybe you should start your own business. But was it, did it feel intentional at the time? Like, did you sit down and, and map out a plan of action or what you wanted to do? Or was it kind of piecemeal and you realized after the fact, like, oh, we're doing this, like, <laughs> this is a business. I think sometimes people get into it by accident. So I think it's interesting to hear like what those first couple of years actually look like from the person who's building it. I have never created a business plan. I know that some business owners and entrepreneurs would be like, <gasps> it's not legit. Uh, but um, I am, I'm very intentional as a person. Um, and I think that I just live my life with that intentionality. And so I think that that helped to steer me in the right direction. However, a lot of this was accidental, a lot of it. So deciding to start a company, I had no idea. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, as I grew and my first employee that I hired, so I had I had a couple of interns um, within the first year um, of, of, of ACPR's existence. Um, and then I hired my first full-time employee within the first two years. And it was essentially a, oh, I need more help. I better just hire somebody. And and this is the this is the blueprint for business ownership. And this is the blueprint for growth. You, you hire, you bring on more clients, you continue to hire and bring on more clients. Um, and so I think a lot of it, I just figured it out as we went. <laughs> and so I, and I do not, I still do not have a, a business plan 13 years into this. Um, I do annual um, planning and goal setting, and then I break it down by a quarterly basis. But I feel like um what I've learned recently, maybe over the past couple of years, has been the fluidity of business is more important than, um, or going with the fluidity and going with the flow of business is more important than sticking to a specific plan. Um, there are things that happen even 13 years into business today that still surprise me. And I've seen a lot. And I mean, even this week, I had things that happened that I was like, I what, what is this? But, um, I think being able to go with the flow and be the raindrop going down the mountain, as opposed to being the raindrop trying to climb up the mountain is where the magic happens. 
You said before that you've made some mistakes in your career. If you could go back and, and do something different in your business, what would that be? I thought you were going to ask me to name my biggest mistakes. <laughs> if you want to dish it, I'm here for it. But <laughs> We're going to go there. Um, can you repeat? You said that. Yeah. If there was something that you could go back and do differently now in hindsight, is there anything that you would do mm-hmm. different? I don't think so. And maybe that's because I'm a stubborn Capricorn, but maybe it also is because I believe in myself and I know who I am. And I know that the mistakes were necessary um, because my business is unlike anyone else's business. And I think that's a good point for any of any of your listeners who are interested in potentially becoming an entrepreneur or business owner one day is there isn't a blueprint for a reason. Like there is, I mean, there's a blueprint, like I said, with, with hiring people and bringing on clients and growing, but every business is different. And I think the person who's at the helm, the person who founded the company and who's leading the direction of the company, um, it's really going to mirror what your life looks like and what your needs are. And, um, because of that, I think ACPR really has served me well in each phase of my life. Um, you know, the first few years of, of traveling like a maniac and working with um, incredible brands to grow at a different level and then bringing on staff and becoming more of a leader and a people leader um, and, and shaping the lives of other people through work that we do. Um, and even now in, in recognizing, you know, that this is very different. I'm, I'm different every year and my role changes as much as I'm the same and I have the same title. Um, everything that I've gone through has led me to where I am today. So call it stubborn or maybe just (laughs) I'm okay with with where I am based on what happened in the past. You just touched on something I want to dig into a little bit more. So as a people leader, were you managing people prior to starting your own business or what has that process been like to, to bring on that staff and to manage somebody? Mm. Danielle, of course you had to ask this question. <laughs> no, I never, I never managed anyone in house before in, at, at another company. Um, I'm an eldest daughter, so I think that there is. Did we talk about this? Are you an eldest too? No, I'm actually the middle. Oh, you're a middle. Oh, so you're the. You're I was the, the youngest for a while. I have a younger um, sister in high school, so I was the youngest for a very long okay. time, and now I'm the middle. Okay. Okay. So I, um, I had no experience in leading people and managing people. Um, and I think that that probably has been one of the most, um, challenging things for business ownership. And for someone who wants to become a business owner, if you haven't had that experience, because we are placing all of our trust and relying on someone to essentially bring our vision and our mission to life. Um, I've been really, really fortunate over the years to have employed some of the most incredible, scrappy, smart, talented, funny people. Um, And it hasn't been easy. I've learned as I've gone. um, I made a lot of mistakes and um, I'm still learning. Where do you draw inspiration from as a leader? Do you mimic maybe what past good leaders have been for you or maybe the opposite of some bad leaders like where do you um draw that that motivation and inspiration to be a good people leader Mm. 
I, what I do most of the time now, um, is I put myself in the employee's shoes and ask if I'd want to be treated that way, or if I'd want to be seen that way or spoken to that way or managed in that way. Um, I think recognizing that there is a difference in, in who I am as the founder and owner of the company and as an employee who doesn't have as much skin in the game, doesn't have the skin in the game that I have, um, and recognizing that first and then asking myself as an employee, because I have been an employee before, how would I have wanted to be treated? It's really my guiding light there. Um, not to say that I still don't mis make mistakes in that and expect excellence and high, high, amazing quality results. Um, but I think that, that that's the best thing is, is recognizing that we're human beings. Um, it's messy. It's messy being a human being. We have emotions and we're not robots. Um, but putting ourselves in other people's shoes, I think, always serves us well when we're trying to learn and, and find answers. That's really valuable advice. And I think a lot of people could benefit from that. That The next time before you send that email to somebody on your team, just pause for a minute. Like if you were to get that email, how would you respond to that? Would could you misconstrue it? Is there a perception issue somewhere? Like if you are just too, like, I think about this all the time. I see all the, the memes and everything on Instagram. Like if a, someone chats you like, Hey, could you have time for a quick chat? Like the panic that goes through, like, I mean, I get that, like the panic that goes through your mind, like, Oh my gosh, I do something wrong. Like, am I in trouble? What's happening? Like, so taking the two extra seconds to add a little bit of context with that, or like why you're, you want to have a chat or that email, I think there's putting yourself in that employer employees shoes is so important because like you said we're all human beings we all have emotions and mm -hmm. we can't mm -hmm. separate that from our work as much as we would like to right. we're not robots like you said right and I would just add to that 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 email could probably be a conversation a live conversation mm -hmm. where you can look each other in the eyes and show your humanness um and the resolution will probably be a lot better than, than the email. So, Absolutely. you know, I, I, um, I'm really fortunate. I've had a really incredible woman working, um, with me for the past two and a half years. Her name is Taylor. Um, you know, Taylor, yes, I do. People grew up in around the same area. Um, and Taylor understands my speak. So I'm very, um, like over slack, very short, just in terms, you know, like lots of exclamation points, of course, <laughs> but very direct and, and, because we know each other so well, she knows, okay, this is not a tone. This is just a simple interaction. But the reality of most people is that they don't understand that. And I think, you know, setting those essentially rules of engagement or those ground rules or sharing with someone like this is my communication style and know that I'm upfront. If there's something that's going on, you will be the first to know about it. But otherwise, this is just communication. And um, I think that always would serve well, prefacing things. Yes. It takes time and trust with your team. You have to have mm -hmm. that level of psychological safety there to yeah. when yes. you're communicating with people. But like you said, it's once you work with someone for so long, I have relationships like that at work that I know if someone's sending this email and they say it this, or they're sending it at a certain time or different things like that. Like I, I know when and when not to respond or how to respond or what that is, but like that takes time to get there and open communication and trust between the people that you're working with. And that would, I think, should ideally be the goal because a lot of things can be mis misconstrued, but 
just being open and honest, like it seems so like it's not groundbreaking, but doing that in the workplace, I think is where the challenge um, can be because it hasn't always been that way historically. No, it's, and it's hard because I mean, we are, we are here to work, but unfortunately, unfortunately, or fortunately, um, our lives interfere, our personal lives interfere. And what we, what we have going on in our personal lives are infused into what's going on in our work life, which I feel like, um, a lot of, you know, back in the day, it was this whole like work-life balance, like separate, compartmentalize as a business owner that doesn't exist for me. My life is my business. My business is my life. Not to say that I don't do things like I'm going to pickleball league tonight with my husband for, for fun, you Mm -hmm. know, and being able to turn off and have boundaries and know, that you have an identity outside of your work. But I do think that that also leads to potential um, conflict that can be mitigated and that can be um, um, completely avoided if we just remember our humanity and remember that like, I'm not going to say things perfectly. You're not going to say things perfectly. There are feelings that are involved. You may have something that's going on in your life that that's affecting you that day, that's going to affect your work. And, um, I think that just, it just, it's life and we're human beings. Yeah. I was saying this the other day, I actually think on the podcast, but when I come to work, I don't stop being a mom. I don't stop being a spouse or a homeowner Mm -hmm. or a pet owner. So if there's anything that's going on with any of those aspects of my life, I can't just turn it off. Like Right. If I'm having a pipe burst in my bathroom, like I can't, I can't just pretend that's not happening when I come to work during the day, or if my, my husband's sick or child's sick, like all of those things. And you have to remember that as a leader, that we're all people and you can, I mean, you can try to compartmentalize it. Some people prefer it that way, but I just think we're, we're moving in the direction where we have to have those conversations at work because that level of transparency and like you said, humanity, it just makes us better at what we do. And I think the quality of the work improves, the, the quality of the team improves when we can all support each other in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that just to expand on that, I do think that working from home, because we are a 100% remote company now, um, working from home has just made this so much more confusing for everyone. I mean, I know even our, in our employee handbook, my founder letter, welcome letter, um, you know, it is, you know, I want you to come to work every day being your best self. Um, but also knowing that like things happen and you might get, you might get sick. You may have a child who's sick. You may have something going on in your personal life that's affecting you, but knowing, you know, that we're here to do a job and to do really good work, um, that people hire us to do. I think that is, that's what I look for with, with my team is that maturity and that trust of knowing, Hey, Allison's got my back. Mm -hmm. She knows that I have this going on in my life and that, you know, I'm a little bit on edge or, you know, I'm sad today or whatever it may be, but she also knows that I trust her and, and I'm going to do my best today. And my best still is going to be excellent. Um, and I think that that work from home part of it just, has made everything so much more confusing because we're now in this place where, I mean, I even, I have an employee who has, who works out of her kitchen 
and there's no separation. So finding a way to make it all flow and work together as opposed to compartmentalizing, um, it was easy for me when I had a, when I was an assistant or a coordinator and I would commute into my job and work in an office and then clock out and commute home and then not have a device that was attached to my work or be able to check my work email at home. But I don't think that that's, I don't know if that exists anywhere anymore. Yeah. Like you said, it it is confusing. I've never actually heard it described that way, but when you say it, it makes so much sense. I mean, people love working from home. So like, oh, it's so great. Or it's, I hate it. Like things like that, but confusing is, is a really great way to put it. I have to ask as you, someone who you don't have a PR degree and now you're running a PR company has, have you ever encountered imposter syndrome of Mm. Like, who am I to do this? Or like, am I qualified to do this? And you're obviously exceptional at what you do. So I'd love to know like the, the, that side of it, if, if you've experienced imposter Hmm. syndrome. Yeah. Um, so I, I think everyone to some degree experiences imposter syndrome. I am embarking on this next year will be my 19th year after graduating from college. And so this is not, um, this is no longer new for me. <laughs> it hasn't been new for me. Um, I started in PR in 2006. And I think what I have learned um, with imposter syndrome, so it doesn't happen as much nowadays. I mean, that you know, of course, I'll get butterflies if I'm talking to a big brand or if there's a presentation and even pre- preparing for today, I needed to in- to remind myself that, okay, Allison, what you say is valuable and, and your story is worthy of sharing. And I think talking to myself like I would a friend, you know, and, and being that hype girl that we are for our clients really helps. But I do think that um, while it doesn't happen as often for me anymore, um, I never once thought, I'm not equipped to be a business owner or I'm not equipped to work in PR or I'm not equipped to work with magazines or to have a fashion degree or um, anything like that. But I think that there are, there are times where, you know, you just need to fake it until you make it. And, and even if you are feeling that way, reminding yourself that you're there for a reason, if there's an opportunity that's landed on your plate, it's for a reason. If you're in a situation where you're like, oh my God, I'm in a room with people that are far more advanced than me or more experienced. And I don't know what I'm doing here. There's a reason for that. And I think just believing that, um, and reminding yourself that you're worthy is probably the most important way to, um, not overcome, but just be self-aware of, of what you're feeling. So I know that answer turned into more of like how I would coach somebody through imposter <laughs> syndrome as my own, but I hope that that's helpful. No, as I opposed think- to, like, I don't know how much I, um, you know, nowadays I think I just have gotten really good at, I know who I am and I know what I'm capable of. And if there's something that I don't know how to do, just give me 10 minutes mm-hmm. and I will figure out what I need to do. Um, but I, but I know even for my younger staff, they get put in a situation where they're like, this is new. What am I doing? And I, I think you just gave everyone permission to be confident in their abilities. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what it boils down to. It's, it's you, like you said, you hit this point, like you're like, this isn't new anymore. I do know what I'm doing. I do know my self-worth and the value that I bring to the table. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's something that not everybody 
has, especially early in the career, even as they progress mm-hmm. in their career, they may always struggle with that. But knowing, like trusting that you know what you're doing, you're here for a reason, like the mm-hmm. facts show that you have these great clients, you have the staff, you have this whole history of, of what you've built so that you have that permission to to be confident and to be bold and to be good at what you're doing because you are great at what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Nice. Yeah. Um, I also think that just because I, I know you're the, the whole premise of your podcast is the first 10 years and I'm closer to 20 years now than, than I am to 10. And I think that it comes with time and I think it comes with maturity. And I think, you know, I know this because in my younger days, I always wanted to be older. I always wanted to be more advanced. I always wanted to skip ahead and it to just to go by really fast. I remember being um, 23 years old and looking at colleagues, older colleagues who were five years, 10 years into their careers and being like, I can't wait until I'm that age. I wish I was five years into my career. And now embarking on my 19th year post college. It's scary. (laughs) Let me tell you, it happens. Yeah. That wasn't what I was expecting to hear. I was like, how does it, how does it feel? Does it feel amazing? Like I wasn't expecting to hear it was scary. You have to wait. You have to wait and find out. Um, It's scary because it happens and it happens a lot quicker than you would expect. Um, And I think that wisdom and maturity, it comes with time and it comes with experiences. And I think that that's probably what makes me a little bit different than some of the other guests that you've, you've profiled and and spoken to is that I'm, I'm, um, older. A lot of our guests, I'm not going to say our guests have been old. I won't say that, but there's a lot of, um, a diverse set of skills and experiences that people have had, but I think that's the beauty of it. That's what I've seen reflected on my own 10 years is that hindsight's always 2020. You always know the lessons that you've learned once you've been able to go through it and reflect on it. And someone who's in their first 10 years, like they need this advice for people who've been there from women who've done it from, from their successes and their failures and all of the, the mistakes that they've made throughout their career. They need to hear these stories and know like it does get better. <laughs> not that it's not nice. great then, but like, I think for a lot of people, the first 10 years could be a really big cluster and you don't really know what you're doing. And I feel that way. I feel like I'm 10 years into my career now and I finally feel grounded and like I'm catching my footing and that's exciting. That's really fun to know like, oh, the best is yet to come. So there's a lot of learning and growth that happens in those first 10 years. So I think you're the perfect guest to have. Oh, well, thanks. Um, And let me just tell you, as much as I said it was scary, that was in terms of like how fast time goes and then you realize you're (laughs) different. Um, but it does get better. It all gets better every year. You know yourself so much more, you know, what you want, you know, what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. And you know, the type of life that you want to live. And I think that that, that is the best part of life. I mean, we talk about work, but it's all life. It's just figuring out who we are and what we want and what we want to say yes to, and what we should definitely say no to. Um, and, and then continuing to do it. Absolutely. So what advice would you give to someone who's considering starting their own business, becoming an entrepreneur, thinking about how, do I want to start? Where do I even start? What would you say? Yeah. Yeah. 
So I think the first thing is to really just have a very honest conversation with yourself about business ownership and what it would actually look like. Because when you are a business owner, you are responsible for the service, the day-to-day, whatever the product or the service that you're selling. Um, so the actual specialty. So like for me coming from PR, the in the early days, it was, I was also the publicist. Um, so you're responsible for that, but you're also now responsible for the bookkeeping. You're responsible for the legal. You would be responsible for staffing, HR, um, every facet of the company. And are you willing to do that? And if you don't have the experience, are you willing to learn? Um, and so that leads to my next point. I think what's really important is mentor, um, someone who is a business owner, someone who's been through it, um, and can help you, um, and can at least be a sounding board and answer questions. I have had some really incredible mentors throughout my career, and there is just no way that I would have been able to do what I've been able to do with my career without their help and without their support. Um, I'm not talking about uh, like seeing someone that you admire on Instagram and shooting them an email, asking them, asking to pick their brain because Danielle, I get lots of those and those don't get replies. (laughs) It's the, it's the email where you're like, I've been following you in your journey for so long. And this is something that I want or so I think, and I could really use a mentor. I could use someone to mentor me. So it's not a pick your brain situation. It's a someone that's going to be there for you. Um, and know that it's a reciprocal relationship that not only does your mentor want to see you grow, but there has to be fulfillment for, for that person too. You mentioned this earlier, but I think a lot of entrepreneurship journeys get glamorized and the thought of owning your own business and having your own business. And like you said, people don't realize that when you start your own business, you're not just CEO and founder, you're CMO, CFO, COO, you are you are wearing all of the hats. So I think that's really important advice to keep in mind if you're considering doing that. Like you said, if you, you have someone that you can help do that for you, or are you willing to learn it? Or can you outsource it? Like, what does that look like? Um, And I love the advice about mentorship. When you had those mentors, did you reach out to somebody? Like, was that what your experience was like? Or how did you find those people for you? Yeah. So I was really fortunate. And I think just the way that ACPR is structured, we work with mostly female founded bootstrapped companies. So a lot of my clients have also become mentors for me. Um, In my early days, um, my mentors were those who were with me throughout my career um, working as an employee. Um, And fortunately for me, a lot of them also became business owners. And so we were on this kind of simultaneous journey of, of, figuring it out together. Um, but I do think that there is something to be said about reaching out and asking and seeing someone who is more seasoned or someone who, who you've admired and establishing a personal relationship with them. I still keep in touch with my, um, manager from my internship. Um, so many years ago, she is, she changed my life. And I think that one misconception about mentorship is that it's a transactional, um, short-term relationship. And it's not, they should really, in essence, they should be with you for your whole life. And I'm a big believer in that. Absolutely. So I'd love to wrap up our conversation and ask you, what is your biggest takeaway from your career thus far? Mm, I think I said this before, but plan for the best. Um, I, I, it's easy to get pessimistic 
It's easy to get um, down and it's easy to think the worst is going to happen. But the reality is that it probably, the, the good will probably happen. Um, I, many years ago, I spoke at a conference and the theme of the conference was expect the unexpected. Um, and I think the unexpected is the best. It's the good. So plan for it. Think that way. Mindset is everything um, because it helps you to adapt and, and to, to be able to enjoy that success when it comes. So you're 13 years in now to ACPR. What, what's the future look like? What are you excited about? Oh, wow. Um, I am excited about continuing to do PR on my terms. When I founded the company 13 years ago, it was um, in a way to do PR and that was differently. There are so many big PR agencies who are incredible and other small boutique agencies like mine, but no one is me. And I want to be true to myself and authentic to that. I know, I know what our clients need because I've been doing this long enough and I know what it takes to grow and I know um, what it takes to feel fulfilled for myself. Um, and so I'm just excited to really just stay connected to that. Um, you know, obviously working with new incredible brands to help them grow their awareness um, and making sure that ACPR is a really an incredible place to work for my team um, and making it a place where not only can I be my best self every day, but my team can and clients know that they can do that. They can rely on us for that. Um, but just excited to keep going. I'm not done yet. Yes. Your journey's just starting. You're still early in it. I'm excited wow. to see all the, all the great things that you and your team are going to do. So where can people learn more about you and ACPR and, and find out more about, about your work? Yeah. So you can find us online at allisonconklinpr.com. Um, you can find us on Instagram at helloacpr. And we're also on LinkedIn, Allison Conklin Public Relations. Amazing. Thank you so much for this conversation today, Allison. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Allison. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you are at all remotely interested in PR and the work that Allison and her team are doing, I highly recommend following her Instagram account, HelloACPR. It is a beautiful feed and she does such a wonderful job highlighting all of the great work they do. I've complimented her on it. I think it's it's truly such a, a great follow. So be sure to connect with them there. Um, if you want to connect with the podcast, you can follow us on social at the first 10 years podcast. You can connect via email at the first 10 years podcast at gmail.com and you can find me everywhere at danielle doolin and i look forward to being back next week with another guest conversation until then bye